thank you, Lord, for this opportunity and for the people who have gathered here. Um, let's pray, Lord, you be with um, um, the last week or so. <coughs> um, I've been really trying to um, concentrate on praying for those who are um, less fortunate than me. Um, there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain in the world, Lord, and I just pray that people's hearts are open to receive you and you can break through and show them that there is that there is something better beyond the, um, the sickness and the death and the tragedy and everything that happens in this world. Thank you, Lord, for just organizations that when um, tragedies do happen, that they that people are so willing to give to to help those in need. I pray for a day, Lord, that we do that without the tragedy that we just give because people are in need. And I thank you for your great love. I thank you for your mercy, and I thank you for your grace. I pray that um, that all of our hearts would be open and our minds to re receive what you have to say. I pray, Lord, what um, I've come up with is what you want me to say. And if anything, Lord, I, I hope that maybe it just would give a different a new perspective on, on you if others haven't already come to this conclusion. So I thank you again, Lord, for your love and your mercy and your grace. I ask for this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. All right. We're going to go ahead and we're going to read this. It's going to be a while before I kind of talk about it. Okay. So if, you, if you've been in church for any amount of time, this is a familiar passage. And, and it's one that people struggle with a lot and stuff like that. So. All right. The birth of Isaac. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised, which was, God told Sarah, when she's old, you're going to have a baby. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was, to, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, I am the boy, which that could actually be translated young man. Which I think is part of the... Anyway. Um, we'll go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on 
on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. What is the purpose of the Old Testament? I mean, as, as Christians, we tend to, you know, we live by the New Testament, I guess. So, what is the purpose of the Old Testament? It's the history of the coming of Christ. Okay, okay. That's one of the things I had. I had the history of Israel, which is... Your answer? I mean, so, I mean, what's the purpose of it? I don't know, but there's purpose. <laughs> okay. Um, I've always been taught, and you, you'll hear this that it, it's it's the history of Israel, or like Bobby G said, it's 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 starting from the beginning as, in, in, as to where Jesus came from, basically. But I also think. But the purpose of the Old Testament is it's it's for revealing the one true God and his character. Okay. Um, you guys have probably heard the word monotheism, correct? What is monotheism? The worship of one God. Okay. Um, well it's 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 the belief in the existence of one God. But we're going to learn a new word today. What's called? It's called monolatry, and it is it's the ex, it's the exclusive worship of one God, without excluding the existence of other gods. Yeah. You're even teaching me a new word. I like. Thank Peter ends. <laughs> I do. I thank him often. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, I, I think most people tend to believe um, that the Israelites, and especially like Abraham, that, that he believed and worshipped one God. That that when God told Abraham to do this stuff, that Abraham knew it was the one true God. Okay? Um, so I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, just kind of make a point. That, that especially the Israelites, they, they actually did believe and actually worshipped more than one God. Okay? And if you go to like Leviticus, there's there's one place, and it's in, in chapter 17, where, where God's telling Moses to tell the people of Israel to quit making sacrifices to the goat gods. Because apparently they were making sacrifices to goat gods. <clears throat> and, and later on, he, he tells, and Moses tells them that they must not worship um, and make sacrifices to Moloch. And Moloch was the Canaanite god that basically was this big statue and I've heard a couple of different things but but it's, it's arms are built out like this and you would pl- and it's like fire you know burn up underneath it coming up and you would place your child in there and, and it would you sacrifice your your child to God Moloch so God's telling them you know not to worship goat gods and not to worship Moloch and of course we probably all know the story of the golden calf right that's the Israelites doing that and I've heard a couple of people talk about this, and I kind of came up with this, you know, a couple of years ago. But in in Exodus, you know, this, this number two of the Ten Commandments says, um, "You shall have no other gods before me," which basically is saying that you will have other gods, but I'm the one before all the other gods. Okay. Now, I'm not saying there's other gods. Hopefully, we'll, we'll get to that if I remember. Okay? So, I'm just kind of setting the stage to show you that, that the, see, we live in a world where the three major religions believe in one God, right? And so, this concept that there's these, all these other gods and everything is, is kind of an odd take for us to, to do. Oh, as a matter of fact, um, if you read the Old Testament, you'll see that a lot of the king, a lot of the kings that the downfall of the downfall of Israel is a simple fact that the kings incorporated all these other gods into to Israel. Okay. Every culture at this time had its own god or gods. Each city would have a god. Each region would have a god. So while you were in a particular region, you would worship the god of that region. And when you traveled to another region, you would worship that god. And wherever you happened to be, you would pay homage and make sacrifices to that god. Why, why, why do you think, why, do, why did people give, um, make sacrifices to the gods? In, just ge- in general terms. For favor. Favor. Right, right. It was basically to get the God on your side. Yeah. I think it's the same reason a lot of people go to church today is they're afraid of what, what, what might happen if they didn't. Yep. Their, their tractor might break down. <laughs> <laughs> or your minivan. 
Either church I first started going to, believe the same thing. He's not a church. So I, I guess you could probably even even figure that you know the the smaller the gift you gave, or the least pricey, you know, would get you a little bit of favor. But the more the more valuable that the, the sacrifice became, the bigger the favor you would expect from the God. Okay. As far as the the biblical narrative goes, God didn't implement, and I'm using implement in quotation marks here, the sacrificial system until the book of Leviticus. That's probably, and I didn't do the research, but I'm guessing it's, it's at least at least a thousand years after Abraham. At least. So that's obviously way before Abraham's time. Yet, Abraham was already sacrificing animals. All right. If you keep backing up, the first thing Noah did, he got off the ark, was he sacrificed an animal. And if you keep going back, it brings us to Cain and Abel. And this is the, my question here is, did God really want or need a sacrificial system? So let's go back to Genesis. Uh, Genesis 4 should be the next one. And we're going to read this, okay? It's about Cain and Abel. Now, Adam, and, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. So Abel is a shepherd and Cain is a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought to the, to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. <clears throat> and Abel also brought of his firstborn of his flock and of, the, and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Some of this is different than my Bible has. That's interesting because it's the same version. <laughs> if you do well, right? King, and God tells Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? What, 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 is, what does God mean there? Do well at what? What, do you, what, 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 what is typically t taught about this? Why didn't God like, like Cain's sacrifice? Because it wasn't first fruit. First fruit of what? Did you say murder? Okay. He's on the right track. <laughs> Typically, what I've always heard been taught is that that Cain gave God grain. As where Abel took the best animal he had and he killed it for God. Okay? 
why, why, why would why would that impress God? It cost him what he had. Was King supposed to go get a, an animal of some sort and kill it too? He was, he's a farmer, so he's giving what he had. Okay, so basically what you're saying is on a value system, Abel's was more expensive than King's was, so that's why God didn't like what King gave him. This is the whole mentality we just talked about, that the smaller the gift, the less the favor, the bigger the gift, the bigger the favor. Well, none, none of us really do, but, but go ahead. Yeah, but, but, but remember, you know, Abel's giving what he has, right? And Cain is giving what he has, too. You can't expect Cain to give an animal when Cain's, a, he, he, he farms stuff, right? Okay. I'm with you here. The problem is we don't have enough information about what Cain gave. Now, hang on, hang on, just, hang on. Just that he brought the fruit to the ground. Right, 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 right. But hang on. I want to concentrate on if you do well. What if the question, maybe what God's telling Cain is, you're, what you've given me doesn't matter. You're not living well. You're not doing well. Because he never says anything about, if you do well and give me more grain, if you do well, blah, blah, blah. It's all about, if you do well, you will be accepted. If you don't, sin is crouching at your door. He's telling right now, you can see the sin is crouching at Cain's door. It's already there. It has nothing to do with whatever grains he's given God. It's all about Cain's attitude. So you can kind of gather from this right here that God's really not, doesn't care about the sacrificial stuff. He's already talking about how he wants people to live. Okay? Does that make sense? Am I a heretic? Okay, so so why did if that's the case then why didn't God tell Abel to quit killing animals for him? Huh? Well but but he but God doesn't tell Abel to quit sacrificing animals. And here's here's how I see it. Okay. It'd be like if if your kids came downstairs with a craft they made, right? And look, Daddy, I made this for you. And, and, and Miles gives it to Tim, and Tim goes, "That's a worthless piece of crap." Would you do that? Even if it was a worthless piece of crap, would you tell him that? No, because no. that's not what you do when you love somebody. So God is accepting Abel's sacrifice because Abel's doing what 
Abel knows what to do to show God that he cares. And God is just working with him through this. Because mind you that the whole sacrificial system doesn't come into play till thousands of years later. So this is already going on, right? Are you following me? Does this make sense? So, so one thing I want to clarify, are you, are you kind of putting out there that both sacrifices were likely good? Because it kind of plays them up as though they were both good. It was the first, whatever it is, of the first fruit. First fruit of the ground. And that's kind of the hang up is, I guess you could read that, like Jen said, that one's the first fruit and the other one doesn't say it's the first fruit. But I, I, go ahead, go ahead. No, I'm just saying, are you, it sounds like you might be suggesting that, that there's really nothing wrong with the, with the sacrifices. What was wrong was what was happening behind the scenes. Right, right. Okay. Right, right. Just, just but the mentality is, I'm slow, so and, 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 but the mentality is, and we think about that too, to this day, it's like, um, say, Say Quinn gives ninety percent of his income to the church. We would think that's a massive. That's a massive. You know, that, that's a that's a that's a massive um, sacrifice to give. God's really going to bless him for doing that. You hear this all the time in churches. I'm telling you, you hear this in churches that if you give more in any way, then God's going to show you more favor. Okay, and so if you have that mentality and you read this, it's like. Well, the cow won't grow back, you know, and it's like, it's, that's not the point. The point is, it's not the sacrifice, it's the attitude behind the sacrifice, okay? But the main point I'm trying to point out is that God has never said that he wants you to kill stuff for him anyway, okay? <laughs> okay, so by, by now, by the time we get to Abraham, it's hundreds of years later, if not another thousand years or two, and so so like like when I teach you say like and I say like in the book of Leviticus I, I can't say like well in 650 C B C and it's like I don't know what the dates are so the best I can do is this is in this book of the Bible this is in this book of the Bible and you have to just kind of figure out what the timeline is okay okay so now by the time we get to Abraham hundreds of years if not millennia or two have passed. And man's, and man's concepts of God have grown ever more violent and dark. You know, we've gone from vegetables and slaying animals to apparently doing human sacrifices and baby sacrifices. Right? The fact that Abraham was told by God to sacrifice his son probably wasn't a big shock to Abraham since all the gods demanded child sacrifices anyway. Because that's not in the story either where God tells, you know, God tells Abraham to sacrifice your, your only son. And Abra there's nothing about Abraham saying no or why. It's just like, okay. He got ne early next morning. And it's like, it was like this routine. But the shock would have been because Isaac's birth was a miracle. Because they were old, they were very old. They were, he was born and conceived, and Isaac was the was the son that God promised to make a great nation through. So, if there's anything about it that to Abraham is probably odd, it's the simple fact that I'm 100 years old. My wife's 90. We just had a baby. You promised me I'm going to be a great nation and people through all this, 
and now you want me to kill my kid. And as far as I can tell, this is the first time in Scripture that God actually said that he wanted something sacrificed to him. Okay? And like I said, Abraham never questioned God about sacrificing Isaac. And you would think he would because a little bit earlier in the story, the whole, the whole, that's the whole story about Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham bargains with God. He goes, really? You're going to kill, you're going to kill a whole city off. Well, there's 50 people there that are righteous. And God said, oh, I, I want that. And like, he just keeps bartering with God and everything. But when it comes to his own kid, it's like, okay, I'll kill him. Well, it shows the mentality at the time. The mentality at the time was, you know, the God's killed and, you know, and, and giving your kid. Okay. Next slide. After these things, God tested Abraham. Okay. What was the test? To see if Abraham would be obedient. Okay. To see if he's faithful, I guess. If he, if he trusted God, I guess. Which one is it? It's, yeah, it's more that if he, if he trusted God. Okay. Because he has to trust him to realize that somehow God's still going to keep the original promise of making him a great nation. How do you do that if you kill the son? Okay. You had to trust that somehow God will make it work. Okay. What's the what's the purpose of a test? You can turn that down, Julie, if you want to. Just down arrow. Or up, the up arrow. Go up. Little white box right there, yeah, see? Just saying like 74 or something. What's the purpose of a test? Um, to see if uh, you're going to follow God and their path of righteousness or not. Okay, that's a little more theological than I was going for. <laughs> uh, when you're in school, why do they give you a test? To see, where, to see how you measure, to see where you are. Like, right, you to see how far along you are in your development. A test is used to see how far along you are in your in your development. It should tell. It should be more for the teacher to tell them what they need to instruct their children in. Yeah, but she's actually on the right on the right track here. It's supposed to inform the teacher on what they need to. Okay. This is why you should teach more often, Jess. We show Shamer from the pulpit. Okay, so if a test is for the person person giving the test to find out where the other person is in their development, what was the purpose of this test? Your answer still may apply.
faith in God after the fact because God stepped in and stopped him from sacrificing his son. So you're saying that like when a student takes a test, they get smarter? Okay, so the improvement comes after the test. I mean, it could, not necessarily. Not well, I've never taken a test and actually learned anything on the test. I, I, <laughs> I'm not saying you learn from the test, but you know what your weaknesses are. I mean, a good student. Yes, yes, you, you learn from it, yes. Yeah. Or you know what you need to learn. Okay, so, so, so God's purpose of this test was... Okay. You're not wrong. I'm not saying I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can take it outside. Because <laughs> <laughs> the heretical part of this is coming up, and I'm, I'm trying to get you to get there. Are we not taking the bait? No. Why, 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 but why would people be afraid to say that? Because I think we are all like, well, that's obvious. <laughs> what's, what's obvious? Well, I think we all thought, well, it's obvious that God was doing that to see where Abraham's heart was. And to see if, like, how why, why, why would God have to do that? I don't know. <laughs> that part's not obvious. Because we have freedom. Okay, I, I got three points here. The first one was was about Abraham being obedient. Going through all this. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to word this the way I want to. It showed it, it shows that Abraham was still obedient even though he was going through something very difficult. Okay? But what I don't want you to get from this is that because God told him to do this and he went through all this, that every time you go through something crappy in your life, it's God doing it to you. Okay? Because this is just a story about Abraham. This is, this is not a, a pattern by which you can see how God works. Maybe, might be, but just don't assume that is what's going on. Because if you remember the story of like Jesus and the blind man, that's what they, you know, the disciple says, why is this guy blind? Did he sin or did his parents? And Jesus said, he's just blind. <laughs> Basically, that's not what he actually said, but that's the, the, the gist of his response was that he's, he's just blind. Things happen. Okay. My second take from this is, it proved to Abraham that God is faithful to his promise, which I think you said that too, right? So you were all over this. You should teach more often, too. <laughs> All right. Now, here's the one that some of you may have, have trouble swallowing, okay? Which I was trying to get you all to get to. You said that it shows that Abraham was obedient, right? It, it proves Abraham was obedient. Proves the Who? Okay, it, it, proved, it proved to God that Abraham was obedient and it showed God 
why Abraham is obedient, which reveals Abraham's perceived character of God. Okay, so my, my, my first take was, why did God need Abraham to prove to God? Doesn't God know everything? Why, why, why did, why did Abraham obey God? Flip to the next slide, or the rest of this. Yeah, his assumption was what. It says in here, it says in here why he obeyed him. Start with Abraham, Abraham. Here I am. Is it in there? Back up, back up then. It's in there. I read it. I know I did. It's that other Bible again. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's... Now, hang on, hang on. No. One thing, Herb, if they're sacrificing animals to have, like, this bounty, then wouldn't it make sense? At some level, if he sacrificed his son, there'd be this bounty after that fact, after it happened? Need verse 12. Yeah, there it is. It's in verse 12. I didn't hear you, Eric. I was concentrating on this. It's in the sun about paper towels, bounty. Not that kind of Okay. Because because God does say in like the, the chapters, uh, the verses after this, that that he was obedient. But why was he obedient? It's in verse 12. He what? He feared God. Would you not fear a God that tells you to kill your kid? That's the interpretation of fear. It's fear. Well, I actually looked that up <laughs> because I know it's always told about being being in reverence and stuff. But in my concordance, it says that it's reverent, but the reverence is because you're scared. Presumably understand the power of God. See Hannah, see, Hannah was on this too. Yeah. You guys are great. <laughs> All right. Um, I didn't get through half of this. All right. You had three points. What was the third one? This. This one. Okay. All right. We've been talking about it for five minutes and I missed it. I know. Okay. Um, <laughs> So, so um, verse 13, it says, Abraham lifted his eyes, looked, and behold, beheld a ram. Behind was a ram, caught in the thickets by his horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt sacrifice to his son. Whose idea was it to kill the ram? 
Right? Okay, so so far in, in everything that we've talked about, there's nothing about God wanting anybody to kill anything. Yes, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. He even said, he even said something like he, he was even hoping something like that would happen. Yeah, yeah. Right? But just because he was hoping that would happen or he was sure that God would provide it doesn't mean because the ram was there that God provided it for that reason. Maybe the whole purpose was that God, I mean, I definitely believe this whole story is, is God revealing that he doesn't want people to die. He doesn't want you to kill people in his name. I, 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 I mean that. I think I believe that as, as much as I can possibly believe it. But I also think it's showing that, here, Abraham, I've shown you that I don't want you to kill in my name. You have a choice. Can you continue carrying on killing? There's a ram over here you can kill. Because he, he just walked away. They could have untied his son and walked away and everything would have been good. Because he had already he'd already shown that he was obedient, right? He was probably just thankful that he didn't have to slay his son. It was like a, a love language. Right, back right, then. right, right, right. But <laughs> no, 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 you're absolutely you're absolutely right. That was the mentality of, of the people back then. Was that the gods were bloodthirsty, right? And Quinn was talking about that last week about how the gods were up in the air and stuff. And you will read where it talked about um, they'll burn the animal or whatever on the altar and the smoke goes up and it's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Because that's what they believed. They believed that when the thing went up there, the gods were up there smelling it. And that's how they, they, fed, that's how they fed the gods. I mean, that's, how, that's what they believed. Okay? They really did. Um, but the, the Bible is... That's five minutes fast, right? It's 1211. Not really. Oh, man. It's like one minute fast now. Man. All right. Uh, I'll do this quickly. Someone your I'll do this quickly. The Bible, the Bible is progressive. And I know that's a loaded word. And I don't mean progressive in the way it's used today. Because I consider myself conservative, but not the way they mean that either. Okay? But the, the Bible is, is, is progressing. It's, it's on a tra tra trajectory, right? And if you read through Scripture, we have this whole thing where these people are already killing people, so God implements a sacrificial system so that at least there's some order to it and some real purpose and stuff. This is, this is, God, this is God getting involved in, in humans' lives, right? And if you keep reading your Scripture and you get to the Psalms, there's at least three Psalms I found where it says that that God doesn't want your sacrifices and he doesn't want your burnt offerings. He, he wants you to have a change of heart. He wants you to change your life. Then you get to, to the prophets and Isaiah said the same thing and we got the thing in the office in there about Micah, what God said to Micah about God wants justice and, and it's how you treat people. He doesn't, want, he doesn't want sacrifices, right? And it all culminates into Jesus. And there is like a man, I'm out of time there's, there's this belief that <coughs> that some guy on Facebook have, I have these things pop up I don't know what they are but some guy wrote a book about how God really didn't want the sacrificial system 
right? And I was reading the comments. This one guy is saying that you know, God's just a bloodthirsty God and, and, and all this. And, and, but there's a lot of people who believe that. There's a lot of Christians who believe that, that God was so angry he just had to kill people. And it's basically, it's like God's got this big gun and Jesus jumps in front of him and takes the bullets for us. Which, which makes people really love Jesus and really hate God. Right? And, hang on. And, um, but the culmination of Jesus' sacrifice is it, it, the cross shows the, the ugliness of man's lust for blood. Right? God, it, it wasn't God out in, in, in the crowd yelling, crucify him. It was people. It was people doing it. And Paul, Paul states in, in Romans that um, for those who love God, all things work for the good, right? And we tend to think about that, how that plays in our lives and everything. <laughs> but God took the cross, this barbaric torturing death machine thing, and he used this to give us everlasting life. Because God isn't a God who wants us to kill in his name. We have a God who dies, dies to save us so we may truly live. I thank you again, Lord, for, for your love and mercy. I thank you for taking an event as terrible as the crucifixion and, and using it for good. How you were in Christ reconciling the world to you. And I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, that though there's probably nobody in this room who's ever going to kill anybody, that we still, like, like Cain, have that in our hearts that hatred towards the other, whoever that may be, or for those who have hurt us or sinned against us. Help us to be more like you, to be forgiving, and to be willing to take on, to take on those sins that others put upon us and still love them and bless them and pray for them. I ask all this, Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.